Okay, uh, you need your microphone. Uh, let's see right about, you know where it is, where it's got to be. Don't tell me what to do with the microphone, you son of a bitch. Well, I'm going to be about here. I'm going to be about here. I'm, I'm the fucking star. The I'm the here. fucking second banana. I tell you what to fucking do. Look, y'all, turn the volume up. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob, sometimes known as Shuggy Two Shits. Sometimes Shuggy. And we are coming to you from a place of peace and love and harmony, if you forget the peace and love and left harmony in the car. <laughs> Today... <laughs> That was a good line. I didn't think it was that good of a line when I wrote it, but it was actually pretty good. Uh, today we start a brand new, uh, brand new Rob. Brand new. This start, hasn't been thought of before. This is this is this is crazy because you know what? It's brand new. Brand new. <laughs> Usually we're recycling stuff. Not tonight. No, not tonight. Tonight is tonight is special. Tonight is one of those glittery things that they used to have in the seventies. Where they used to have those specials where oh, we celebrate like 25 balls. years of Disney and all that stuff. Yeah, and then yeah. there'd be rare balls and, and people would all get dressed up and none of the hip people would be there like the rockers, but all They'd the old like a, 40s Kind of guys a stage with like a catwalk where the uh, speaker would actually come out to not actually get into the audience. <laughs> but... <laughs> get into the audience. Not actually talk to the audience. Yeah, not actually go all Donahue, but... Uh, uh, Move more uh, surrounded by the audience while still being separate. Not doing a Donahue, no. <laughs> Today, some people may be going, I don't know what these guys are talking about. If you don't know about Donahue, then what the hell are you listening to our show for? <laughs> Children. So, today, again, as I bring this up, we start again. a brand new three part theme that is the first theme ever done on this show that was thought up and suggested by Rob. Right? I think it was. Or was I not the, the country divas? Did I do that one? Oh, yeah. That's, no, you... No. Oh, no, no. I was the... Um, um, uh, there was another one. I'll think of it later. <laughs> Would you? Because I don't think you've ever... I think you may have thought of a theme. I did once before. And that was the... Uh, the it was the, uh, the lady divas, not the country divas. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is the second theme out of the 140 themes that we have thought of on this show that yeah. Rob has actually uh, thought of. And the, the interesting thing... And once again, no royalties. The hey, interesting I, thing... I've written 142 scripts or 138. This is 137, but I have written 138 because that's the one we're doing tomorrow because you canceled last week. So we have to do two shows in a row, which pisses me off. Oh, and they're going to be like, tomorrow's going to be an angry show. It'll be angry. <laughs> so when you hear tomorrow's show, which you won't know any idea what it's about, but when you hear tomorrow's show and I sound angry, you remember, oh yeah, he said that on the, the previous show. And tomorrow's show is code for next week's show. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so everybody doesn't even know what I started talking about, but we have a new theme <laughs> thought of by Rob. And it's actually uh, a good theme because I never would have thought about it myself. I really wouldn't have. I thought of something similar, but I, this is something that I never, I never would have probably used in the lifetime of this show. Seriously, that digs. 
imagination. But when he brought it up, I liked it immediately because I never would have thought of this kind of terrible theme. <laughs> no, this one, by golly. I, I, I'm feeling a bit of regret at this point. <laughs> it's, uh, it is musical artists that starred in their own show or variety show. Now, it was just going to be variety show. But the first group we were presenting in this week's episode did not do a variety show. Theirs was just a regular sitcom a show. show. Yeah. yeah. But I thought it was close enough because I just thought because it was close not? enough. It was almost yeah. like a variety show, Where, except for the variety. If we were to do a theme on that, the, the, the worst two other uh, albums we could lump in with it. Can't. And I don't think we're going to get much. Uh, Feedback. Outrage from yeah. people because we included uh, these artists in the uh, variety show. And that's why I renamed it. It was just going to be called Artists Who Were in a Variety Show in the 70s. I renamed it Artists Who Were in Their Own Show or Variety Show. That's why you get so that, big bucks. I know. The brilliance sometimes. Like I, I, I feel like I am the monkey. Yeah, you are. And... <laughs> It almost was a time when I had to rethink the horns and not horns in the blues show. Remember with the blues oh, groups? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we got into it and then realized. Yeah, there were very few horns. So I had to say, this is the blues groups with horns and sometimes without horns. <laughs> That's that. You have to think on your feet, people. <laughs> and you can't be brilliant every week. No. <laughs> sometimes the themes are shaky. Um so we're going to start off with uh, The Partridge Family and their 1970 debut album, The Partridge Family Album, which, by the way, is like a, a double entendre, not in a sexual way. Although Shirley Jones, hello. Uh, hello. And she could sing. Yeah, she could <laughs> sing. Uh, but of course, there's The Partridge Family and their album, which is what you listen to, plus there's The Partridge Family album as in a photo album which is what the album cover which is what the Here's, album was designed like yeah. so it's a it, it's a double meaning you know what i mean rob it's got, it's got double meaning to it somebody who i was who was thinking overtime <laughs> some really. studio executive not really you were just like oh well, we're making it into oh, a, oh, like oh, a, oh, a, oh, mean, like a picture album yeah, no like oh. a musical album but if we made it like a picture album, it would work hey that's brilliant let's go ahead <laughs> <laughs> i know how things work like that in exactly. offices <laughs> now we say they are a uh, uh, a group, but it was really only David Casty and Shirley Jones from the television show who sang on the album, and studio musicians who performed the music. But still, legally, it was a group because it were, was it was it was called the Partridge Family. Yeah, and they were together at one time. What do you mean? Well, if they're filming, they all get together. Oh, when they're filming, they're the Partridge family. They qualify as a fake Partridge family. In the most literal sense. So, yeah. So, yeah. I know what you mean. Just like you can't say it's a David Cassidy solo album because it's got the Partridge family on it. If it did, then all of it would be, hey, David Cassidy featured in the Partridge family. But that never happened. Should have happened. Didn't. Should have happened. If we went back in time, that was one of the things we'd probably do. But David Cassidy, he, 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 he had that weak-willed management. Of okay. <laughs> you know what's funny? I just said this to Rob before the show. I said, uh, every time we take a week off, it feels like two months. And it really does. Yep. It feels like uh, the last time we, we did a show, it was like, uh, I don't know, Reagan was just taking down the wall and <laughs> or something. We're back from our monthly summer vacation. <laughs> 
it seems like you know you haven't talked about a record in forever, even though it was two weeks ago, and you just forgot a whole bunch of things. I don't know why that is. Maybe because we cram so many shows. Some and sometimes because Rob's an idiot. It's such a release to get the week off. It is because you party. You I don't know, and not 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 necessarily Rob, but myself. Work very hard every week to write yeah, the script and I work do hard background other stuff. And Rob I'm works sure very hard at listening to the record. <laughs> Thirty two, minutes a day, two or three times. Give me a fucking break. So. <laughs> I got time for that's uh, my contribution. So, but this this is oh I, you know what I forgot oh Rob I forgot to uh, the thing this, the timer. So you you're gonna have timer? to give me the time. I hate that because it's the most important thing to me is the time. Okay, we're at the eight minutes. Yeah, was that, is that is that minus all the mumbo jumbo beginning? That's minus all the mumbo jumbo from uh, the time you said three four. Oh okay. So if occasionally I mention to Rob, hey, what time is it? Uh, don't be, uh, I don't look, think, I, I just want to know. The computer screen and I subtract eight minutes from whatever it is. Okay, now you miss me up. Okay. <laughs> but you can't do that every night. No. So, uh, this is the time of the show, which we all love because it's the time where I get to actually, uh, get uh, a refreshment. Oh yeah. I've been drinking my water like, so Rob, how was the last two weeks for you? Your first of all, your vacation time and the the week that you had to listen to the album. What what kind of things happened to you? And yes, I'm listening as I drink my water and pretend I am. Well, I see. I went back to uh, to work for the first time in about a year and a bit, and uh, it was great. I got to do some uh, some work at the uh, that place where they uh, shelter homeless people, and uh, I got to go to a warehouse, and then I got to stack some lumber. That's funny shit. You know what part of the show I love? Is odds and ends. Odds and ends. Because lost time is not found again. Yeah. Now, I never have anything for odds and ends the week that we come back from sabbatical because I spend that time not looking for anything for the show. Yeah, you're sabbaticaling. I'm sabbaticaling. Why would why would I'm sabbaticaling look for articles and stuff like that for the show yeah, it's when it's my week off? Rob, it's my week off. That's showing. Sake. Don't showing. That's not showing. I can tell, but I can't show. Don't show. <laughs> it's against the law in some states. So this show is no different. There's no unfortunately no items for odds and ends. So as usual, sawed off to our <laughs> listeners. If you're expecting a mind-bending odds and ends. Uh Every time we come back from our week off, we will never have odds. Unless unless I hear something really mind-bending yeah. while we're on vacation. And it's not really a vacation. It's just more like resting. Vacation would be like, uh, oh, I went to Saint-Tropez and we, uh, we yeah, had 18 yeah. women with us. And we got uh, eight coconuts and... Uh... That's what they do in Saint-Tropez, they eat coconuts. So I'm thinking we're, we're surrounded by 18 women. And what you think when you're in Saint-Tropez, there's a lot of coconuts there. A lot of coconuts there. Look out. Look out. You're by the sea, there's coconuts. Uh, we got promised last episode that we were going to talk about mixing of an album or a song. Now, what we're going to do is actually very simple to us. I think it's simple to the audience too, but since we've been around it our whole lives, mm. but basically our whole adult lives, uh, we know 
everything about mixing. So we're gonna. It seems very simple. Hopefully, it's simple to you. I think everybody knows. But can we relate? It's it? not like mastering because mastering is a son of a bitch yeah, that I still don't like, understand. Um, uh, it's done by Jawas and uh, hooded people. Mastering? Yeah. Yeah. Man, we did two shows. We did three shows because that we had a two-part show on mastering. So we did three shows in the history of uh, sounds from the seventies about mastering and i don't think we we have a maybe a little bit better understanding of mastering but not that much no yeah i think we what we said last time on the last show was that we actually have to yeah, be there yeah i kind of a mastering. rough idea of mastering but if you asked me to do it i couldn't exactly so uh there was a little pause there i don't you kind of threw me off with your uh sneezing into my uh, sneezing into your into your um I wanted to sneeze into the microphone, but uh, we don't have the spit screens on tonight. Oh, we don't, actually. We don't? I didn't uh, notice that. We don't have the shock mounts? This is like Gorilla Radio. It is. This is Gorilla Radio. (laughs) 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 Now, we're going to go through the steps of making an album in the studio. Let's do that. Let's go through the steps of actually making it so people know what you do when you make an album in the studio. First, we get into the car. Well, we drive to the studio. Oh, we have our musical instruments with us. Okay, you go ahead. Well, you took my joke away. Sorry. <laughs> you took my joke away. The <laughs> well, first reason to do this. and then, uh, Don't ad-lib when yes. you don't know what the fuck you're ad-libbing about. All right? I may have to get this script one of these days just so I... I'm not, I'm not even going to tell my joke now hmm. because you ruined it. I'm going to save it for next week. Okay. Or another time. Another time. It was a good one, though. <laughs> okay, so when you mix, mix uh, the no, not not when you mix. When you make an album, of course, the first thing you do is you don't waste any time. Is it's the pre-production, and the pre-production is when you before you go into the studio, when you rehearse the songs to how you think that they you would like it to be. Now that could change when you get in the studio, but mostly you find out. Okay, let's. Let's take the songs that we have, see how they sound, see if we're happy. You don't even have to listen back to them with any sort of machine. I guess you'd call it a machine. But what you would do is that you just want to know what you're doing when you get in this. So you don't, you don't, you don't write any songs unless unless you have like uh, Paul McCartney type money, where you can go there and write songs at your own free will and waste well, I'll money. Go in the studio with no idea and just start making noises until a song comes to me. Yes. Which Should actually do he does. <laughs> at home for free. Uh, when you don't have that kind of Paul McCartney type Rolling Stones money, then what you do is that you have your songs and then you kind of rehearse them with the group and you say, okay, and then maybe, maybe at the time you say, okay, these 10 or 11 songs or 12 songs or whatever are going to be in the album. Or sometimes you record... You don't know. You record 17 and decide in the studio whether, yeah. whether, whether these 11 songs are the ones that sound the there's, best. There's the times when we handed it around to other people and had them um, uh, pick and uh, kind yeah. of did the survey with But uh, I've come to the realization the people around me are idiots. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest with you, some of the people in the group are idiots because oh. I swear to God, I absolutely have been 100% certain that the... Uh, I don't know, 10, 11, or 12 songs that are going to get picked for the album that I pick are going to be exactly like everybody else. 
And it never happens that nope. way. There's always one or two that are left field that all of a sudden I think is a song is crap. And they say, that's got to be a <laughs> You got to do that one. <laughs> you got to do that one. It's brilliant. And I go, no, it's terrible. Uh, but you know what? We always, we as a group, just for an example, some some groups are run non-diplomatically. Yeah. But us as a group, we always, it was always the majority rules. So if I thought a song was really crap, usually it was my song, which I didn't think I did well, and it has happened many times. Which you should have censored beforehand, but you didn't. You handed it to idiots. Ha ha. I did, and they, they <laughs> liked it, and I had to put it on and because majority rules, and then I'd go, oh, why did, why did you like that? It didn't. But then again, I have a, as a songwriter, as Rob knows, you have a certain thing in your ear. And if it doesn't turn out, it doesn't mean it's bad. It just didn't turn out the way you thought it would. Yeah, and there's another thing in that. The, the, if people vote for, you know, a song of mine that I didn't think was too good, I just, uh, I realize that people, uh, they like different things. Different ears have different tastes. And, yeah, and that's the thing is, the one of the most popular expressions about artists in any form, whether it be filmmaking or or uh, painting or uh, music is that I think artists are a lot of the times the worst judge of their yes. own stuff. They are overly critical first and foremost. Right. And things that they think are brilliant are not that great and vice versa. Yes. <clears throat> so then you got that done. That's pre-production. And then you go in and you can either, re then it's just the recording. You set up the, the 600 mics that you have to set up. Drums are the worst. Drums are the worst. This is what you want to get down initially is the drums. Yep. You get down the drums on your, or what we call the bed tracks, which is usually the instrumental tracks. Or you can sing, but usually you don't keep that. You just, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, a guide or, vocal. It's a guide vocal, so that some people know how to do. Now, first couple of times, we didn't even know you could use a guide vocal. We were young and green, so we practiced everything instrumentally. All the songs instrument, and we go in and do it. And the thing you want would like to do is, of course, since you're playing a basic instruments, which is just rhythm guitar, bass, and drums, you would like to get everything, but you never do. Yeah, sometimes keyboards if you had them, which we never did. Well, keyboards is more of a yeah, you could. They're in a I always think keyboards is more of a overdub instrument, but you could if you want to. Yeah, as far as when they're doing the comping like a rhythm guitar, yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, using a, you can either record it instrumentally, which a lot of bands do, or you can use a guide vocal, which most people do nowadays. And I would recommend that. That's what we try and try and do. Uh, the thing is, if you do, if you have a guy that like myself who plays guitar and sings, it's you're not you you're not looking at the same time, right? You're not looking at uh, getting either the rhythm guitar part or the vocals uh, to be good because. Uh, you want to get the feel of the song when you, that's why you sing because you want to get the feel of the song to the other members of the group while they're playing get them a little bit more uh, energy out of them but you're definitely probably not going to be looking at unless you're Neil Young who records everything live you're not going to be looking probably at keeping at least that the rhythm guitar or the guide vocal you very rarely keep the guide vocal although sometimes I did <laughs> yeah, that's it is nice to record it because every now and then uh, you just accidentally get a good take. Because it's easier to record uh, uh, a good take when you don't think it's going to be used. Right. You just oh, you have no pressure. You yeah. have no pressure because yeah. all you're thinking of is getting the drum sound. That's all you want in a bed track 
is a drum sound and if you're really lucky and you don't have a guy like Rob you're looking to get the bass also yeah. Rob never gets the bass because Rob thinks of his parts differently than and he usually doesn't have them completely worked out by the time like Rob wants Rob wants a different there's a percentage which is improvised yes <laughs> and if Rob usually doesn't like any of the uh, bed track type of bass that he uses because he thinks of other stuff in the meantime and he has his own musicians have their own way of for their own parts of thinking what they want and uh, so usually for us we just want most people want to get the bass and the drums and maybe the bass would, would punch in here and there to get the overdubs but uh, our thing was always just to get the drums and then the drummer has nothing to do for the rest of the recording yeah. as soon as you do your 15 bed tracks or whatever then the drummer is like you can go home we don't need you we don't need you to talk about anything about this anymore we don't want to hear you bitch you're done the best way to get him not to do anything is promote him to producer <laughs> <laughs> now what you want to do when you're mixing of course well, mixing is the end. Let's just say you put your overdubs on, which means you put your orn what do you the, the ornamental stuff on your guitars, your uh, good yeah. vocals, all the stuff uh, the, that the solos, you, um, the solos, uh, all the rest of the stuff, which is not the uh, the rhythm. Exactly, all the rest of the stuff on top of the rough uh, takes that you have done to get the drum tracks, and uh, which means. Uh, you go through a lot of time just getting a good guitar sound and and the bass player spends a lot of fucking time trying to get the right bass part. A lot oh, of fucking time. I, it's the hardest part of recording is the fucking bass player. And I'm not kidding. I'm actually being... Because I've had to sit through this and not being a bass player and not being a rhythm guitar player, I know my part like and I can do it like in one take and it's like, it's done! Because that's what I wanted to do. It's not a complicated thing like a bass, which is like that's very that, complicated. Yeah, I, yeah, I did a lot of punch-ins. And there's a lot of punch-ins until he gets it correct. I understand that now. The first couple of times I got very aggravated, but I didn't understand the creative process of a bass player. I do now. I think that's probably just me. <laughs> well, it is just you because a lot of bass players will be like, dum, dum, yeah, they'll come dum, into that dum, one yeah. part that uh, I'll play this safely and uh, yeah. I can play safe, but I don't get paid enough. Which is which is you know important because uh, that helps the song along, and we don't. I don't want a guy that just plays a couple of notes every song. So you do that. You you sweeten the sound out. You round it out with your overdubs, and you may add uh, a Glockenspiel. I don't know where that came from, but you had a Glockenspiel or keyboards or whatever. Song, you can do what you want with it. Uh, Those cowbell, uh, whatever wind, you want. Maybe some wind chimes. Wind chimes. That's Anyways, wind now chimes. you got all the components of the song uh, for every track every recorded, and you're all done as far as the recording is concerned. And what you do? Oh, by the way, vocals are last. The vocals are almost always last because you have. When the vocalist has to sing, he now has all these components in yeah. his ear and he can get the right emotion with hearing everything, which he might not get if he just had a bed track or whatever. He might be saying, oh, this is pretty indifferent. So his vocals, sub, almost subconscious, your vocals become kind of like, oh, well, you know, there's not much there, so I'm not going to put much into it. 
You don't think about that, but you subconsciously think about that. So that's why you want everything in there before you sing. Once the singer is done singing the songs and you've done the background vocals, the mixing is the last thing that the musicians and the engineer and everybody in the studio does. And the mixing, other than maybe the uh, mastering, which we know some about but not enough, is the most important part of it. Mixing is can destroy a record or it can uh, enhance what you've done. It's not just laying down the song as you think. You have to make you have to make sure that everything is mixed so that everybody who's listening gets the point of what you're trying to get across. I have had many times come in with an idea with a song and, and played it and in the studio it has come out so much better. Not only because the guys who had their overdubs and everything add something to it but there's also little things that that are added in the mix and you go wow that is so much better than i came with and sometimes it doesn't work sometimes you get less than what you thought and it's not the problem of anybody it's just that the studio atmosphere is not conducive sometimes to reproducing your your idea of the song not that it's in our studio is in is capable of doing everything but it can capture sometimes the energy of just playing the song live and um, yeah, that's I think the problem I had with the, the multi-track recording is sometimes you lose that energy. We tried that with our last album, which is unreleased and will stay unreleased, because uh, well, it has it has kind of a bootleg release, which I've never heard and I won't hear, uh, done by somebody who took the tapes and decided to mold them in his own way. But we wanted to actually record everything live. And then, you know, add the occasional overdubs. It didn't turn out that way because the tyrannical engineer uh, decided to... Uh, that son of a bitch. ...take a hold of songs that mostly weren't even his and do it his own way. But that was our, that's always been our big thing is to record live and to keep it live <sighs> and to stay it like that. Just say, boy, one of these days, we're going we're gonna to get that we're done. We're going to get that done. There's always done. one person, and it's not necessarily, it's, it's been different people. But in all our career, there's always one person who says, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. Even though it can easily be done, they don't want it done that way. They want it done the way they want it to. So they don't realize that we're the two guys that write the songs. <laughs> Maybe we should decide yes. how the album should go. That's a common <laughs> misconception is... Uh... You know, it's nice to be democratic and equal, but uh, write some more songs. Write some more songs, <laughs> exactly. So mixing, which is the last thing you do, is we're going to give a little bit of tips here. Because mixing is just making all the instruments stand out the way you want them to stand out. Like if you heard a, a song where, of course, sometimes you have a, a guitar that's being played. Everybody knows. If a guitar is being played in a song, it, it sounds really low. And then all of a sudden, it comes up for the solo, and it's really loud, and it takes over the song, which is great. That's mixing. That's where for, for three quarters of the song, the, the, the guitar is laying low in the mix, which means you can hardly hear it, but you subconsciously know it's there. Yeah. Solo comes, and all of a sudden, it's loud. That's mixing. You're just pushing things up a little bit or pushing things down. To, to give uh, a representation of what you want featured at certain moments of the song. That's yeah. basically mixing is. And for the majority, it's, it's balance. It's just... Um, balance. That's all it is. Making sure that nobody's overpowering at the times when they're overpowering. 
and uh, no one's uh, getting mixed down so low that you can't hear them, which defeats the purpose of putting down a part. Exactly. Now, that sounds simple, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it sounds simple, but you know, for a lot of the first uh, decade or two of my recording, uh, I, I was slowly realizing that a lot of people doing the mixing didn't really have a grasp on what they were doing. Well, the problem, I the just, biggest problem is, is that if you get everybody in there, if you get every band member in there to do to to oversee the mix, uh, it's not good because everybody wants their part louder. And that was one of the funny things. <laughs> that was one of the funny things I remember. I heard, I was watching the uh, the Bruce Springsteen um, a DVD when he released his box set of, of Darkness and Yeja Town. And Bruce, of course, is the boss. He's the guy who makes the final decisions. But then he'd have all these guys in the studio, the whole E Street band in the studio. And as they were playing it back, all of a sudden, there would be hands putting up, like Clarence would be putting up the saxophone. And all of a sudden, <laughs> the bass would be going up. And he'd say, enough. You know, seriously, he'd go, enough. This is my name on the record. Enough of putting your stuff up because it happens all the time. I do it myself when yep. I'm listening with the other guys in the studio and I say, the guitar's not loud enough, let me put the guitar up. And then everybody goes, well, now my bass is not loud enough. Now the drums aren't loud yeah, enough. That, that happens in practice as well. Yes. It, we start it, off at a reasonable volume and by the end of the practice, we've gotten unreasonable. Right. <laughs> That's why uh, the best thing to do when you're actually doing the mix down is to have one guy who you really trust, yeah. which is usually me, Has to, be to do the mix. Competent. competent, and you have a third party, which is usually the engineer. You really, if you have the money, you want actually to get somebody who not involved in the project, uh, a third party to mix it for you. We've never had that opportunity because no. we don't have. We've never had the money to do that. But that's what most bands do: is that they hire a third guy who's never heard any of the tapes before to uh, mix the album. Again, going back to this Bruce Springsteen story, he had that exact same problem when they were doing Darkness on the Edge of Town. Oh, I can't, oh, maybe it was The River, I can't remember. But uh, every mix that they did, they didn't like. They were too close to the project. And we know what that's like to be too close, to hear the songs 80 times and to be too close to make objective decisions. He decided for the first time we need somebody. We don't need the producer in here. We don't need the engineer. We need somebody who's not been in during this recording and did it. And it worked out brilliantly. First time he did it, boom. That was the mix that, that everybody agreed on. And nobody bitched about it. And that's the thing you want. Or you want what we had to do, which was basically me being there uh, as everybody's kind of choice as, well, if you only can have one guy, let's have Gary in there. And then, and then have the producer, the engineer in there to, to engineer it. And that way you make a decision based on the song instead of based on the whims of everybody else. And uh, you try and make a good balance so that everything works. And then boom, that's mixing. Mixing is the one that's really simple. It makes mastering look like, like science because mixing is so easy. To me, maybe it isn't to people. I don't know, but mixing is so easy. Maybe because we've been recording you know, since the late 80s, it seems really easy. I, I even thought it was easy when we started. I thought, oh, we had some really shitty mixes though. 
<laughs> there have been some mixes where I would actually throw the cassette tape that was brought to me. There was one time I didn't go to the mix. Oh, my God. There was one time we had to do... Uh, that first you remember, album? Rob? We Second had to, album. We had to do, uh, uh, what, you know, those homegrown things that every, every oh, city yeah, has. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the radio. Um, where they were looking for... Every city probably everywhere has this... Radio station. Or radio station. Contest, the local bands, uh, everyone that put in one of your songs. Right. And, uh, vote on them and blah, blah, blah. So when we were really young, this is our first time in a studio, we did one of these competitions where you want to be hailed the best band in this competition and record the best stuff. And I was there. And unfortunately, I had a really bad case of the flu when these three songs had to be mixed. So I sent two dodo heads... <laughs> I don't think it was Rob. I don't think it was Rob. I was didn't there. join in on the mixes till uh, probably about the first decade. I didn't. Uh, I, no. I just stayed home for the mixes. Cause no, it was like, you weren't there. I know. I know who the two dodo heads were. <laughs> but it sounded like I can't remember what it sounded like specifically. I don't want to name any, but it sounded like a new wave band. And I'm telling you. It really did sound like a new wave. This, this is like 1986, so, 1987. Like a new wave band if you are a new wave band. <laughs> it would have sounded great if we were a new wave band, but it, it actually did sound like uh, a new wave band. And I got it, and I listened to it. And everybody, the, the two guys who, who were mixing it were so happy with it. And I got it. They gave me a cassette of it, and I threw the cassette. I said, "What have you done?" Like, <laughs> like I threw it against my wall. I really did. And I said, "What have you bastards. done?" Like, there's nothing worse than 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 have than having your songs completely turned around on 180 degrees and sound terrible. Not terrible, but antithetical to what a you want it to sound mix like. Which distracts from the actual song. Yes, and gives a different impression totally of what the song is supposed to be about. So if you want to hear the end of that story, I came in and I said, I want this redone. And they, I can't remember if they did it. though. No, I don't think they did. I think it was too late. And I said, well, then I, you know, you can submit it. But I, even if we win, it's, it'd be, we didn't win because we it was terrible. Win, no. It was <laughs> terrible. But um, that's why it's important to, to get people who know what the, to get people who know what the drums should sound like, and that's the biggest thing because every engineer at the time wants the drums to sound like the sound of the time. Yeah, and we have had that with every single recording where the engineer will say, this is how the drums are supposed to sound. And not <laughs> once did I ever say, or Rob, me and Rob have never said, well, we would suggest it. But eventually, they would always talk us into it, into saying, no, no, you guys don't want it to make it sound like, like that. You guys want to make it to sound like, <laughs> like this. This is the way it's going to be from now on. So you guys years. don't want to be like way back there in like the 70s, man. <sighs> and every time we got talked out of it, even though we, would, we weren't demonstrative about it because... You trust these people. I think after the first couple of recordings, uh, we wised up and went to the, the studio head and said, hey, man, like, uh, they, 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 these guys don't know what they're doing. They're doing something different from what we want to do, and we keep telling them we don't want to do this, and they're not listening. They don't listen. They don't listen. We don't have enough pull. We're, we're not known. We just don't have yeah, enough this, uh, it reflects upon their name. And this is even our friend. Oh. We even had our friend Tom mix a couple of things for us. And even then, even though we got a lot more say in it, even then when it came to drums and stuff like that, little things, well, drums are not little. Drums are the biggest thing of recording. It really is. It can make you sound retro or it can make retro isn't really bad or isn't make you sound like really hip. 
And usually they want to go for what's the times. And at the time it wasn't a good drum sound. It was like the gated reverb. And oh, fuck, I hate the gated reverb. Yep. And they somehow have a way of talking. Even our friend Tom said, no, this is the way that, that records are being made nowadays. And we'd go, are you fucking sure, man? We talked to him for a long time. And he'd go, no, this is the way. And we always get screwed. The only time we never got screwed, this is a long story. I shouldn't say this. <laughs> I'm going to recondense it. It's all part of recording and the people need to know. I'm going to try and condense. What time are we at, Rob? I don't want to be too long in this segment. Oh my God, like what about the 35? Okay, got about five more minutes. Okay, so we did uh, a, an album on a digital machine. Remember the portable digital machine where we recorded everything? Vaguely. You know, where we recorded in my basement and and, and, and all that stuff. I remember the four-track recorders. Yes. Well, that... Oh, okay. You don't... This was... After the four-track recorders. This was... This is the song. This oh, you're talking water. about it, like a mixing board. But yeah, the mixing you. board. Yeah, okay. We had our own mixing recording device that our drummer had brought in. Our drummer for this one album. And he brought it in. And... We had to actually, because there was so much chaos involved in this recording and people taking off with equipment, that it was just, we're not going to get into that because it's actually about a three-hour story. But it took us about two years to record this album because of so much confusion. And I never gave up on it. Most everybody gave up on this. I'm not going to pat myself on the back. I'm not going to go there. But I remember a person in my band saying, I can't believe you're still sticking with this. Thank God, because it's great music. I never gave up on it. And finally, everybody kind of, we finally got the machine back because it was pawned at one time and it was owed like $2,000. And I had to talk to the company about, don't take away our recorder. We're done. We just need to do a few overdubs. So I got the machine back and I had it back for like a, a week and I did my own mix. And I tell you, it was the only time that it was that's how he said <laughs> I'm not letting anyone else do mixing or I'm not going to let anybody again. else do mixing anymore because now I know that I can do it. All I have to do is find the sound that I want, not let anybody talk me out of it, yeah. but to work the board myself and find it. Rob could do it himself too. I know. It's easy. And I was so excited and I listened to the record for like four times in a row because I was so ecstatic and I got Rob on the phone and I remember I said that night when I would listen to it I said Rob I spent the whole weekend mixing the record and it sounds brilliant it sounds brilliant Rob and I made a copy for him and I made a copy for the other guys in the band and they loved it and they said oh this is how we sound this is perfectly how we sound and when we actually went to finish i'll be really quick i'm sorry but we went we had to do some overdubs to finish it so we took it to a friend's studio when we took that uh four track recording device into the studio into a real studio it lost a lot of the effects that we the amazing oh, yeah. effects we had put on that we couldn't the stuff duplicate we put on, it just got the basic uh, tracks the just th got the basic tracks <sighs> and it turned out to be a great album musically but it wasn't the brilliant album that it was with the mix because we had lost everything and uh we had to make a lot of concessions and again the perfect drum sound that i got was not exactly reduplicated by the engineer we were using because we got talked into it again 
And, and the saddest part of it is that for some reason we lost, maybe I only had one copy and I distributed it around of, the, of the, my mix, but we never, somebody lost it and we never have that final mix. That will always kill me to the end of my day that I, we never got a copy of that brilliant, and I'm not saying it just for myself, I'm just saying it was brilliant because it captured our sound with the effects we wanted, with everything we wanted in that record we did ourselves. And it was magnificent. And somebody lost it. And uh, it's up there in the air now. It's, right. it's gone. I it's gone. It. It's like a lost it. film. <laughs> I, heard, I heard a story that when Aerosmith was recording Toys in the Attic, they, uh, they left the initial tracks in a cab and never got them back. <laughs> um, there's a story... Oh yeah, it's it's oh yeah. I remember it's a very similar story about U two when they were recording their second album and uh, somebody had stolen all of Bono's lyrics and he had to rewrite them and he <laughs> and he couldn't remember them. So a lot of the a lot of the vocal actually a lot of the vocals on the October album are him kind of improvising. Improvising, yeah, and that it always it always just like with us. It was always something that he'll never forget. He'll say, but the, the lyrics are so brilliant. Hang I on lost to your them. recording. Hang on to your music. But most importantly, have the strength of character to tell engineers and producers where to go. And have the strength, <clears throat> which unfortunately, we're really, we're really kids, nice guys. You, when yeah. you're kids, you just you don't know enough and you trust you other don't. people. And you know what? You do trust people. And if you knew us, not from listening from the show, because it doesn't come across, <laughs> but we're really, really nice guys. And we trust people so much. Well, not now. Now all other people are incompetent until they do otherwise. <laughs> now we're in charge. You, you, you should see us when what happened to our last record, how nice we were. We weren't nice at all. So just if there's any advice to anybody, that's mixing. That's how you do a record. Don't stray. Listen to advice. Oh, my God. Listen to advice. Listen to it. But, but when you hear it, if it's not what you want to hear, yep. then tell them to fuck off. Okay? And do it the way you want to do it. That's the only advice that I would give you. There's no advice that I can give because we fucked up many times. But the one thing we know as 100% fact is go by what you want. Don't be swayed by what somebody tells you you should want. So many guys we should have fired. Yeah. Oh, well. Including Rob, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, but that's for other reasons. <laughs> <laughs> for, uh, for Rob's, uh, let's just say his extracurricular activities. Mm, predilections. <laughs> <laughs> We're just kidding. Um, so today's album is from the Partridge family. It's hard to say the Partridge family because, you know, it's... It's I mean, the Partridge family. Because, well, it's just that it's not really the Partridge family. It's session musicians with... with uh, doing some music for a TV show. Yeah, doing some music for a TV show with David Casty's uh, great vocals and Shirley Jones on it. But uh, still, if it's, the, if it's called the Partridge family, then it's called the Partridge family. I got nothing against that. I actually like the band uh, quite a bit. I like the show. I watched the show when I was a kid. I was very young. I, I liked the show. I actually even yep. thought it was funny when shows, when comedies weren't funny. I actually thought maybe because they were about young people. Most of them are about young people. Uh, I always found the show funny. I always, I still find, I, you know, I haven't seen the show probably in so many yeah, years. Yeah, since you were like 10 or Probably old. since the late 70s at least. At least the late 70s. But even in the reruns, I like to watch them when I came home from school because they weren't insulting. 
they actually were they they tackled teenage issues very very well and I like the show. I thought it was a good show. It's not a mind bending, but it wasn't supposed to be a mind bending show. It was supposed to be exactly what it was. And I thought it was more. I thought it actually had some very good uh, messages uh, that wasn't just about, oh, I can't talk to that girl in school. And it wasn't about that kind of shit. Anyways, if you want, if you want the background, basically they wanted a show that was like the actual group, the cow seals. Now everybody remembers the cow seals as a family group. That had uh, uh, songs like uh, they did the hair song. Hair, um, uh, uh, I'm oh. trying to think of the other song. Hold it, I'm looking it up. I'm looking I it up. I'm looking the it flower up. Girl. The rain, the park, and other things. Yes, that's what you're talking about. Uh, I think. Yes, that's the song. The rain, the park, and other things is what you're talking about. Could be. Sure. Yep. You know what it is. And uh, yeah, Cowboy, Cow, Cow says, uh, very much. Uh, the music is very much like the uh, Partridge Family in a way. Uh, so the interesting thing is they cast it. They wanted Shirley Jones right away as the mother. I think that that, that was uh, almost from day one, like Shirley Jones is going to be the mother. And then she kind of said, why don't you have my stepson, uh, David Cassidy, as the, the older uh, sibling? And so they did that. Now and then they did, they got all the other members of the group, blah, 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 for the show. And then they recorded this album, which we're reviewing today. And it's interesting because uh, this album was supposed to sound like a group sung album. Now, you get two songs on this album that sound like that, how it was originally supposed to sound, okay. where everybody sings. and there's. But they realized when David Casty came in to do the singing, holy shit, this guy can sing. This guy can sing, and not only that, not only is that great that this guy's a great singer, but that may, that means when he can sing the leads instead of everybody singing. They were going to have everybody sing in the show, right? So that every song would be the group singing, blah, blah, blah. Sounds boring. It's boring on the record. It's the kind of album you would never buy if, it, if you had a group singing <laughs> I, like that. Because it was all happy. It sounded like, I la, yeah. la, la, la. You know, it sounded like the theme song, which didn't have any lead vocals. As a kid, I'd, I'd lump it into parents' music. But yes. that, that's actually insulting to parents. Unhip music. <laughs> Unhip teenage music is what it is. And uh, that became actually the great thing. Because now, now they had a center to the album which was David Casty, which he was not only a good-looking teenager, which was going to attract all the girls to watch the show and buy the albums, but he was a great singer to give the songs personality because they had good songs. Uh, and if they had done it with the group singing, uh, which is nice as background vocals, but not so nice, very uh, uh, generic as as, yeah, as It was songs. so thick and... Produced the old. It sounded old. It sounded like a bunch of old people thinking what young people would like to listen to. Yeah, yeah. I'll dead go into further detail soon. Uh, yeah, and so they were very lucky. So they got they had now they had probably a very generic album become uh, something more because David Casty went through the roof. He was oh man, he just he was just the pop idol of the of the early 70s at he least. He earned his place on the cover of Teen Beat magazine. He did. And yeah. Rolling Stone, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> and we won't talk about the nude Rolling Stone cover, but that was pretty cool too. I always liked David Cassidy. I liked him when I saw the show 
Because it was like, oh yeah, he was he was not the egotistical yeah. rock star. He was the he was more he was an ordinary guy. He was an ordinary guy, and it's it, it's totally implausible because, right. as Rob knows, hey, if you look like that and you're going to high school and you're in a band, trust me, you got women all over you. But that's not how they had it. And that's why you liked him. It's because he made all these mistakes and he had a hard time getting <laughs> girls. That's why you liked him. If they would have played him like it would would have played out in real life the handsome guy singing in a band you know they would have had him sleeping with a hundred women but you can't do that on especially on american tv yes, in the and 70s. you have to remember that there might be kids watching so you have to limit your content both musically and right visually. and that's why it worked out that's why that's why the women loved him and that's why the guys liked him is because they were they were like him it's like oh he was strikes out too like we all do so, and that's another point that was so I, endearing about the show. I was out and out surprised by his voice. I, I knew he was a singer. Uh, um, yeah, but he sang so well. Like, I, you never knew he was going to sing that yes. well. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that was a surprise. So this is their first album. This was, this is usually, this is usually the album uh, that's called their best album. They didn't release many albums. They released, uh, how long was the show on for, do you know? The show was on, the show got canceled in 1974. So they were on for four years, and they released one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They released eight albums. That's pretty good in <laughs> in actually five years when you call 1974. Wow. For a band that doesn't exist. Actually, it's pretty easy, yeah, for a band that doesn't exist. You, you got other people writing the songs, and all you have to do is for get David Cassidy anyways. Get the session Cassidy. Which he hated today. because, you know, the ironic thing was that David Cassidy was listening to, like, Jimi Hendrix and... And the Who Wanted and stuff like out. that. And he was a very good guitar player. They even feature him in one of the early episodes. If not the early, I don't know if it's an early episode. But they feature him practicing in the the, the Partridge Family Garage. And he's just laying down licks. <laughs> and then, uh, then the family comes in. Oh, okay, we're ready to practice. And then, of course. So I guess in one episode, he says, let me just show off my, my chops a little bit. Just for like 30 seconds or whatever. And you got to see how good a guitar player was. And he said it was... But the funny thing... I know we're supposed to talk about the album, but I want to talk about this. What time do we have, Rob? We're at uh, we another 11 minutes. We no. Wrap it up in 11 minutes. No, we can't do it. We, we might, we're not going to do that. Just like every show, we're not going to do that. But I just want to say it's funny because I, I miss David Cassidy. And, and David Cassidy, unfortunately, died like our friend Tom did from alcoholism. And I saw his special before he died where he was recording his last songs and it just reminded me of our friend Tom who died such a, a grisly death where he could couldn't speak very well and you could see you know David getting weaker and not speaking well I mean it's a terrible way to die and uh but that's what happens when you drink you know all your life and and he but he had the pressure of being so many things to so many people and when you can't live up to what it is sometimes you resort to other things to to get you through it and he did with alcohol and it did him in but what i'm trying to say is the ironic thing is that when he did break free when the partridge family did get canceled he didn't do the rock that he wanted to do he did he did more of a, of a better version of what the you know a, a more still a teeny bopper but still a, a hipper way a hipper more to the kids partridge family type of thing he didn't go and do hard rock or anything like that which i found ironic because i think that was more in his blood to do this you know what i mean like he may have rebelled because that's what he listened to but what he wanted to play was more song orientated and less guitar orientated maybe i'm just guessing but i find it ironic that when he broke free 
he didn't he didn't go the way that and he did have complete choice of what he wanted to do yeah. after the Partridge family ended, but he didn't he didn't go the way that he of the music he was listening to. He went the way maybe of 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 maybe the way he wanted to be presented. And I'm not saying that's a tragedy because everybody knows David Cassidy. I mean, he's his name is a household word, so it doesn't hurt him any, his legacy or anything like that. But I always felt that it would have been nice to have a you know, a real rock and roll record there because he had a voice that could sing anything. So I was just, you know, just thinking about that. But getting to the album, the Partridge Family album, the, the first uh, album, uh, I want to go through things really quickly here. It starts off with uh, A Brand New Me, which is a really, uh, it's a nice song. It's, the thing is, I really like this record because without going through everything, I just want to, what I want to do is pick out the songs that I really like. Side one is really good. Side one is really good. Uh, what what I like about this, just like I got criticized for the Ringo album when I gave Ringo Star five stars. This is how can you give Ringo Star five stars for a pop album and you give like Pastagona Band five stars and you give like All Things Must Pass four stars. And I said, because it's what you're trying to accomplish. It's what you go into the studio to do. And when we did the Ringo Starr album, I gave it five stars. And I even said, I think this is the second best uh, Beatles solo album in the 70s. Because what he tried to do and the other people tried to do on that album, they accomplished 100%. They accomplished everything they want. They weren't there to make a, a Plastigono band or a band on the run or an All Things Must Pass. He wanted to make that album and he succeeded 100%. It's the most listable of the albums. It's exactly what he wanted. And you know that from listening to it. That's my point with this. This album, um, and what they're trying to do, is excellent. And it may not be excellent. Uh, don't give me that look, Rob. No, don't, don't give me that part fucking me, look. I don't me, like that fucking look. Part of me is agreeing <laughs> with you, but another part is saying, eh, I need some context here. Okay. And uh, let's also, let me just also say that it's, it's kind of a, it's not exactly how they wanted because there's a couple songs that David doesn't sing, the vocal songs, the choral songs, as we were saying. Mm. So it's not 100% like, but I did I did measure that into my view of the album or rating of the album. But I think that these are smart songs. And one of the reasons is that these are not, I love you, do you love me? Some of them are, but you would think coming from a teeny bopper type thing, or what they're trying to achieve, that these 11 songs would all be about uh, like Donny Osmond and Puppy Love and, yeah. and stuff like that. And it's not. There's a song about a runaway who has to decide whether she wants to go home or not or stay a runaway. There's uh, a really catchy, almost reggae song about a girl named uh, Bandalea, which I, which I love. It's a great song. By the way, point me in the direction of Albuquerque, which I was just mentioning as the, the Runaway song, uh, which made a very good episode on the show, I remember. Uh, sounds exactly to me like, like Elvis did in, in, in 1970. Just, you could almost picture Elvis singing that type of song because that's the type of music he was doing. That's how much I like that song. I just think it's, it's really good. Um, I Can Feel Your Heartbeat is actually even rock and roll. Uh, and again, it's it's not about I love you. It's actually almost sensual, where it's like I can feel your heartbeat, even though you're not here. That's very sexual. I I, I like that. It. It's um, 
uh, I, I've always liked uh, I Think I Love You. I think it's a smartly written song. I love songs that start off in the minor key in the verses and then go to a major key in the uh, choruses. I think that's great. I think the song... Um, I, I forget which one. I forget which song it is now. It's the song which the group sings. I think somebody wants to... No, it's not somebody wants to love you. Uh, uh, but it's a song where roads. he only sings two lines. I thought that was funny. Where he only I'm comes on in for the bridge. One of them. On the road, he doesn't sing, but I like that. I actually like the song. It's a very good song I about being on the road in a, in a family sort of way. <laughs> no, it's not. I really want to know, but there's one on the first side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where he sings. Uh, it was only a moment ago. I can't remember. I really can't. Either the fourth or the fifth song. I don't know which. <laughs> but he. But it was supposed to be a total group song, and they got him to sing the bridge. And it was only two lines, and I thought, well, <laughs> you know, might as well not have had him in there. But uh, that's how strong a presence he had. I just think this is really upbeat. I think for what they were trying to do, uh, I think it's excellent. I uh, I may not think about that about the rest of the albums that I've listened that if I ever had a chance to listen to them, but for this. I feel that what they were trying to do, and these are great songs, put me in the direction of Albuquerque. I loved that song when I was a kid, and I saw it on the TV show. I was funny with that song, because uh, I heard it, and the first time I heard it, I hated it. And the second time I heard it, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I always, It always reminded me of Elvis, because it's, it's typical of Elvis in 1970, which is when this album was made, and he was doing Vegas, and he was doing these great pop songs. Remind me of that. I can feel you. I, I just remembered something. We had this album. My sister had this album. Oh, really? When I was really young, like about 1970, when I was about like four or five years old, and she used to play it, and she used to have friends over. Um, and I always remember, I remember now, I can I feel your heartbeat. Because uh, yeah, yeah. all my knowledge of David Cassidy was in my, my older sister. Uh, she was about that age where... <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's cute. <laughs> and it always scared me, that part. And for some reason, I was only like four, but you have to understand. But I remember she would turn off the lights and, and play I Can Feel Your Heartbeat. And I was so scared because it would build up. And I wasn't used to that at that time where it goes, I can feel your heartbeat. Dun, 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 I can feel your heartbeat. And it always kind of scared me because I had no knowledge of music at that point. And all of a sudden, my first kind of bringing of music was this kind of like... Love, love, I can feel your heart. I, I really love that. I think there's some very uh, smart things done on this record. And I think breaking it up and to have a to have a guitar part in a record, we talked about this with the Carpenters, like to have a guitar part that is kind of rock and roll on an MOR type record uh, was very adventurous for that time because people didn't like it if you know and yeah that was the older crowd heard that and identified this was not our kind of music right and they would actually complain they would actually say why you have loud guitar uh in this song or that song uh it was a big carpenters thing a lot of people like they, uh, we talked about this on the show with yeah. the carpenters about that and uh so i thought that was really cool i just think it's a very infectious album and i really liked it I think, for, again, with Ringo, what they were trying to accomplish, they did. Maybe not in spades. There's a couple of songs which are real duds on this. Uh, but I think because of having the great David Cassidy sing, which he makes almost everything sound great, or at least good, I think that this 
totally hit out of the park from what they were expecting it to do. I think they were expecting it to be like those two songs with the choral singers expanded to 11. But here they got an actually album that was kind of hip in and a way. A hit single on it. Yeah, and it had a two huge hit single on it with yeah. I Think I Love You, along with a couple of songs that were very good uh, minor hit singles. And... Uh, uh, you know, I just think that at least eight of these 11 or seven of these 11 songs are really, really good. So I give this four stars and I think it's for what they were trying to do. I, you can't do too much better on an MOR record than to do this. I agree with that. Um, yeah, they did a bunch of stuff. Yeah, the thing that the, the two things I really liked on the album, um, David Cassidy's vocals totally surprised me. I knew he sang, I didn't know he was good. Because there was, uh, last time I saw the Partridge family, I was maybe like seven or eight. I mean, they played a few uh, episodes on the uh, the music uh, channel uh, decades Oh, later. yeah, yeah, yeah. But they I did. didn't actually watch all the way through to get any of the music. I would just flip through and, hey, the Partridge family, and then keep going. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look at that. Okay, what else is on? <laughs> <laughs> but that, uh, the musicians, they got to play on it, I thought were really good. The production, I was a little... Uh, By the way, can I just, I just... I'm sorry, but the Wrecking Crew was the, yes. the backup musicians on this record. So if you're... That's what Rob's talking about. If you, They got the, like, the best backup band that you could get, which is the Wrecking Crew. I'm not going to name all the Wrecking Crew because we're, ta- we're, we're running late. Time. But I just wanted to say that. So go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> Those are the two things I liked about it. Um... Uh, the songwriting itself, uh, good. I thought it was good. It wasn't great. Um, there was something that bugged me, though. It, 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 as rock and roll, I, I, I wasn't sold on it. As a soundtrack for a TV show, I thought it was perfect. Because uh, rock and roll is more about rebellion and about, uh, you know, the innovating. And this had just taken all the things rock and roll did and condensed them. Yeah, but them who and... says it's rock and roll? <clears throat> Nobody's ever said it was rock and roll. That's what I was talking about, Rob. What I was saying is that, yeah, if they if they would have made this album and said, oh, this is a rock and roll album, we're so proud of it. But I, I would have said, what a disaster. Were, that's what the, the crowd they were trying to appeal to at the time. I don't know. I don't think so. I think they were trying to appeal to the family crowd. I think they're trying to appeal to teenagers. Teenagers didn't really listen at yes. that age to, to hard rock. They but listened to more of a middle-of-the-road type of rock, which is this kind of... It. This is not a rock... So when you say that, I have to take exception. No, I did... Well, yeah, okay. I see your point, but uh, as far as uh, imitating contemporary music, nothing innovative here. No, I, I agree. But it's... It's not imitating the radio. It's imitating MOR radio. It's imitating middle of the road radio. It's not yeah. imitating the top 40 of a rock thing. It's not going for that. And I know they did sound like they're going I for that on I Can Feel Your Heartbeat. That's a pretty rocking song. But that's just more of a of an anomaly. This, this music, you can tell by the songs that are sung by the choral singers, which are insepid, that that... Yes. That and David Cassidy, thank God, saved the rest of the album, you know. Um, 
but this is not see that was the thing that I not. heard about the Ringo album people were mad because well that's not really a hard rock it's not supposed to be a fucking all things must pass it's supposed to be a Ringo Starr album which he succeeded in 100% and I'm saying as an MOR album a middle of the road album or an album where the top 40 is is uh, not your rock and roll top 40 but more like your middle of the road top 40 this is exactly what they wanted to do maybe not in every song but in three quarters of the songs they actually delivered which is hard to do because they're not talking about just i love you or you love me oh isn't that cute they're actually talking about a whole bunch of things on this record and which they almost had to because every song had to be in the Every song was on the on, on the, the show. show. Exactly. So a lot of it was like, oh, we have a show about a runaway. It so this has a, to be geared towards the show. So I agree with you on your comment that it's more of a soundtrack because it is actually. Yes, and I think as a soundtrack, it's exceptional. Uh, as a musical work, uh, I like the musicians and David Cassidy. Production bugged me. I, it was not to my liking, not to my taste, and uh, I think David Cassidy would agree with you on how <laughs> that's you know he had he had qualms about it. There was like it just the uh, the layered uh, strings and the layered backup vocals, and uh, production wise, uh, I found that no one was ever really but featured. That's the, it was all blended in together. Again, again, Rob, a hallmark. And I'm not of disagreeing MOR, with you. I'm a not hallmark of MOR. Yes, that's my point, though. All those points that you all just made, all those points about the strings and the background vocals are, yes, kind of like uh, opposite of rock yeah. and roll. But that's not what they're going after. They're going after Granted. the audiences that listen to the Carpenters. And for that reason, my ears did not dig the sound Oh, okay. No, I understand that. I just I just wanted to make sure that you didn't hate it because it wasn't rock and roll. No, it's just <laughs> uh, those are the things that... Sh- the sounds I, I don't uh, dig on, they're like... Uh, uh, conformity is the only word I can think of. It's no, I agree. Things that are, are, are that they put on there just to kind of smooth things over and make it make it nice and slick, like the background vocals and the strings. I'm not a big, you know I'm not a big fan of that either, but uh, I don't think it was overdone. I'm not a fan of it, but I think it could have been wildly overdone the hair when we did the hair soundtrack all the songs were like um done with vocals uh, my biggest thing about that was the songs didn't have a a single vocal person it had all these choral vocals in it and it just tainted the whole record for me because that's not my thing but i do realize exactly what you're saying um and i'm not going to disagree with you uh but I do think that for this type of music, I think the songwriting, and you could, you probably disagree with me, and that's okay. But I think the songwriting is a step above uh, what your what your basic middle of the road record. We did a middle of the road oh, yeah. theme, which of course was, uh, but we did a middle of the road theme, and these songs. Oh, if some of these singers did these, and these are original songs. Like these are not cover songs these are these 11 songs had to be written for the show it's not like a helen ready who gets to pick songs like oh i'll do this song and this song and this song from the charts or whatever this is 11 songs that's hard to do to make 11 songs and to make an album and you know what your point is right like it wasn't like that for the other albums because the other albums had to be made not not merely as soundtracks 
but more as um, albums. As they albums. had to sell as albums. This uh, was this is the only one probably that all of the songs were used in the show for the first season. And um, there was something I wanted to say, and I think that's that's that's, that's just so. It's just, it's just to me, I think the songwriting is above the usual MOR. And, okay, uh, above and, the usual and, MOR. And, oh, one more thing. I can agree with you on that point. <laughs> you disagree with um, me on that? No, I can agree with oh, you on okay. that. Above the usual MOR, yes. Yes, and, and I think that also they're getting bugs out because I think leaving uh, a couple of songs with the choral singers in was wrong. I think they had to learn that from now on David had to sing all the songs. And which they did from then on. So, uh, and maybe the songwriting suffered. Uh, it's hard to keep songwriting up when you have to make two albums a year or whatever they were doing. But for this album, there is a lot of bugs. Uh, like I just said, with the choral singing being in there and I didn't really do maybe too much. You know, maybe I'm being too sympathetic because I'm 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 making excuses for the choral singing and the strings as kind of like, well, it's the first album. We don't really know where this is going because I don't think it turned out too much like that. It's I know a lot of their songs they chose. It's the production they chose. Yeah, it's the production they chose for this album. And I don't know. Uh, I know that I liked a lot of the songs after this that they did, you know, uh, as hit singles. That's all as I know them by. I actually got a Partridge Family album. I bought a Greatest Hits like about 10 years ago because I didn't want to. It's impossible to actually find an album. But I yeah. wanted all those songs <laughs> that I love so much in a TV show. And it's fantastic. It's actually fantastic from the time they started to the time they ended. The hit singles, at least, that I've listened to were all really good. Really good. Now, there's got to be Drek on these albums. There has got to be. I mean, well, you're talking about M.O.R. in the first place. And then you're talking about eight albums in like four years. There's got to be a lot of Drek. But for what they're trying... All my point is, for what they're trying to do as an M.O.R. record, I think that it is way above average. Above average to me on an MOR record probably would be two and a half. <laughs> For I, sure. I can, oh, I like to say I can mostly, uh, I have a hard time rating it as MOR, but I, as a soundtrack for the show, I thought it was exceptional in that uh, it's exactly what you want. It's not going to be too much of anything or too little of anything. It, it, uh, it's a perfect soundtrack. Um, musically, I found there were three songs on it that I kind of liked, uh, and I think "I Love You" I really liked because it's a well, great which song. Which three songs did you like? I can feel your heart, Bert, uh, point me to the direction of Albuquerque, and uh, I think "I Love You." And the other ones, uh, you didn't like "I Can Feel Your Heartbeat." I did like that one. Okay. That's one of the three. The, the, the other ones, they uh, nothing really stood out to me, and they had the choral songs, they kind of uh, fuck. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Insipid. Why are you here? Fucking <laughs> insipid. No, they really were. This show would have died if that if that would have been if that was the whole album. <laughs> if that if that was the way they were going without David Cassidy being both both the legal uh, lead vocal point of the show and the lead singer, if that had disappeared. That show would have lasted 13 episodes because it was way too sanitized. But with David, David made the whole difference. He made the whole difference in how the albums are made and he made a whole difference in the show. Guaranteed. There's no doubt about that. As you can hear on the album, when he sings, holy fuck, man. <laughs> like seriously, when he sings on every song, he almost, to me personally, he elevates the song, even an average song on this to go, wow, this is not bad. 
Actually, it's not too good, but it sounds not bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I agree with that point. I give it a personal three. Okay, yes, that's not bad, Rob. That's a good album. Three is a good. Three means good. I like the music, and I liked uh, David Cassidy. And I liked some of the songs. Uh, I'm and never... I thought it was an up album. It's also a happy album. It's also happy, which uh, Rob does not like. <laughs> yeah, normally I don't, but in this case, it's it's okay. Um. You're going to have to talk about this for one or two minutes. How much? What time do we have? We are 10 minutes over. Are we? Yeah. Really? Okay, I got to find this. I got to find our ending here because I accidentally got rid of the uh, the thing that the, the tab. So just give me a second. I want I want to I want you to talk about uh, David Cassidy's sex appeal and what it did for you on the show. Well, the, the you know I, I just assumed he was uh, in a big rock band. Uh, at the, the I mean, did he turn you on big time? On to uh, <laughs> a new way of thinking. <laughs> Sorry, no. people, but I have to find this ending. No, he turned me on to feathered hair. Do you remember feathered hair? I don't. It's too long ago. And the ending is nigh. But but you remember the final episode when they all died in the, the, the bus crash, right? No, I just remember the one where they had to go on stage that night and they got sprayed by a skunk. <laughs> I remember that. And they had to bathe in tomato juice. I remember that. I never, never thought that was a thing until I saw that. It's actually, it's actually. I still don't believe it. It's actually a very entertaining show. Like it's not a mind-bending show by any means. But I can watch that show and not be insulted at all. I remember the manager? He always slept with the pull-down um, yeah. uh, thing over his eyes. Oh, Ruben Kincaid. Yes. <laughs> um. I might not be able to get this, so I'm going to have to wing it. Oh, maybe I will be able to get it. I'm sorry for the delay, people. We're already over time, as freaking usual. Um, no, they're not letting me get in back into my file, so we're just going to have to... What a bunch of... Oh, maybe it is. Internet Here, no, jerks. I got it. They're just giving me a bunch of screens, and then they finally let it show up. So that's our show for today. Uh, it was fantastic as usual. Fantastic. Uh, next week we will have another artist who had a variety show in the 1970s. Next week for you, tomorrow for us, <laughs> <laughs> and we will be reviewing their album. I sense no real troubles with this theme until the third and last album, which scares me just thinking oh, of it. Oh, the third and last. I've been trying to guess in my mind what it's going to be. But who knows? I might like it. I fucking doubt it. <laughs> I don't but think it will. I might like it. Without knowing yeah. what it is. <laughs> with only my mind, my imagination to go with. I don't think you will. <laughs> Rob, Rob, with his intuition, he knows what, what band I'm talking about. And uh, No, yeah. I, I only have a good idea. I don't know. I only have a good idea. So, but you're going to have to wait a couple of weeks for that one. <laughs> so, until next week, everybody, please uh, take care and stay safe. I just write her on. And? I like how calm you are when I'm yelling at you. It makes me laugh. <laughs>